0: Unique, yet common-sense opinions on sports, this is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Glad to have you listening once again. Coming up on this episode, pleasure to welcome Rich Podolsky. He is the author of the book called You Are Looking Live, How the NFL Today Revolutionized Sports Broadcasting. Talk about the days of Brent Phyllis Irv and the Greek. Rich is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a few moments hope you are enjoying march madness as much as i am and i am totally on the saint peter's peacocks bandwagon as uh the 15 seed knocked off a two seed in kentucky and then beat murray state so they either <laughs> uh, this little squad of new york is the kentucky state champs and they will face purdue in the sweet 16 so love it when one of these double digit seeds manages to uh to accelerate through the NCAA tournament. And so it's, a uh, exciting to watch. And you know, just beating Kentucky would have been a great memory on its own, but they've added to it and a sweet 16 run. Now Purdue will be a, a, a bit, another big test for them as, uh, the Boilermakers are at the three seed in the East. Uh, but, uh, man, always love to see that as well. Uh, Out in the Midwest, Miami has made it to the Sweet 16. So the Canes, who were a 10 seed, so they're a double-digit seed in the proceedings, taking on an 11 seed in Iowa State. How about that team that's turned around from having just two wins to making the Sweet 16? And uh, Kansas and Providence in the other half of that uh, bracket, as expected, were there. In the South, Arizona and Houston. That'll be an intriguing matchup. And uh, Michigan and Villanova. So Michigan, another 11 seed. And they were in the first four. So the double-digit seeds are crashing the party, uh, so to speak. Ironically, I mentioned Michigan and Miami, two schools that UCF beat early in the season, which makes you uberly frustrated at the fact that, uh, uh, they were are so inconsistent if you're a Knights fan. But we'll set that aside. And, of course, that, that uh, in the South region. In the West, the only one to hold the chalk. As uh, the top four seeds all get there, Gonzaga. They had a struggle with uh, Memphis in the second round, but got their way through as they were down uh, 10 at halftime. And uh, Arkansas making it over New Mexico State. Texas Tech beating Notre Dame and Coach K's final run with the Duke Blue Devils. He's at least made it to the Sweet 16. Um, Again, a great tournament. Lots of great stories. Uh, Some not so great. I felt so bad for the kid from Illinois, R.J. Melendez, got called for a technical for hanging on the rim. You know, they got to do something about that call. That was such a ticky-tack call. I've seen guys, you know, hang on the rim and almost do chin-ups and not get called, and uh the port can just a just a brutal call that they just can't allow that to happen and so unless guys really just you know if they hang on the rim for like 10 seconds yeah that's one thing but come on and the officiating they've had some a lot of missed calls in this series i don't know if it's just magnified now because we have so much more replay and so many more angles especially in a playoff setting like this but uh yeah, it's uh, it's tough when the officiating uh, is so highly scrutinized. But overall, the NCAA tournament is still great. A number one. Okay, it is my pleasure to welcome to the show author Rich Podolsky. He wrote the book "You Are Looking Live: How the NFL Today Revolutionized Sports Broadcasting." rich it is a pleasure to have you on the show
1: hey good morning nice to be here with you
0: well rich let me start a little bit with uh with your story because you know, you had a front row seat to this revolution um how did it come about for you to uh, be on the staff of the nfl today um
1: the, re- the revolution really began in 1975 uh, as far as uh, television broadcasting is concerned and that revolution uh contained uh, going live really for the first time having a woman on the broadcast for the very first time and not just any woman but a f- former Miss American Phyllis George what a crazy idea that was <laughs> adding a, a a black broadcaster for the very first time on a live uh pregame show and that was Irv Cross and uh bringing in a, a an unknown uh guy named Brent Musburger to run the whole thing uh Brent was only known in the Chicago area, where he was at WBBM. Uh, That was uh, in 1975. I joined uh, the group as a writer on the show in 1977. Uh, I had previously covered the Miami Dolphins uh, through some Super Bowls down there and uh, got to know a guy by the name of uh, Beano Cook, who was the uh, PR director of the Dolphins for a while. And uh, through Bino, I met Mike Pearl, who was the producer for WTVJ, the, sports station, the CBS Sports Station in Miami. Mike Pearl wound up being the producer for the NFL today. And through those two guys, I got the job as uh, the head writer for the show. <laughs>
0: And of course, say uh, you mentioned Beano Cook. You know, so many people recall him as the commentator with ABC and ESPN. But yeah, he had a varied background in sports information, public relations, as a writer. Uh, I mean, you could probably do a whole show on him alone. Uh, and know uh, what a great influence he was in your life. And uh, uh, he also made a significant impact on how CBS covered the pro game, which you know he's so known for college. But uh, can you s- share some of those recollections with me?
1: Uh- you just had a lot of great ideas. Uh, starting back when he was at ABC, uh, Rune Arledge uh, really went to Bino to, for the, the schedule of the college games that that uh, ABC did in those days. Uh, you could only put a team on twice in the whole, entire year. Uh, they had these crazy rules, uh, there were only three games on on a Saturday period. Um, and Bino uh, came up with uh, the idea, in uh, I think it was nineteen sixty eight sixty nine 69 time frame, to have Texas and Arkansas play their uh, one meeting uh, at the end of the year in December, uh, way after the season was virtually over, because he was so sure the two of them would go undefeated if they didn't meet each other earlier in the year in October. That happened. Nixon wound up going to the game and proclaiming uh, uh, Texas the winner after they won 15 to 14. It was known in the media business as the Bino game <laughs> for quite a long time. Uh, and uh, that's where he started to get his reputation. At, at CBS, he was, he was a very, very important Uh, in making suggestions to Van Gordon Sauter, who was the president of the CBS Sports in the early 80s. And he was also, uh, as far as suggestions for NFL coverage, I don't want to get into specifics at this point, but he he was uh, really a main cog in their negotiations to get a split network coverage of college football and get CBS in the door there.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And of course, uh, you know, a lot of credit to him too on how scheduling was done uh, in the pro game as as well. So you do you think about all of his influence in college, but uh, he had kind of a behind the scenes influence on the pro game.
1: Yeah, most people don't know how instrumental Bino was and how brilliant he was in the, on the business side of uh, sports on television. They only know him for his great uh, wisecracks. Uh, his most famous one, which is now a title of a uh, Bino's book, is "Haven't They Suffered Enough?" <laughs> which is what he he said at uh, uh, and, and when the hostages were free from Iran. Uh, the, we were at the uh, NBA All Star Game in Cleveland, and and there were a ton of sports writers around him, and said, Bino. What do you think of this? the Bina, Bowie Kuhn, the commissioner of baseball, is going to give all the hostages lifetime passes to Major League Baseball. And Bino's response was well, Bino was a lifetime hater of baseball. And Bino said, Haven't they suffered enough? And uh, it became uh, one of the top 10 lines of the year in Time Magazine. Um, he had a lot of them. He had a lot of great one liners that uh, blew people away. He was quite an individual. Uh, We became really good friends. Uh, We shared an office together for a while. We shared an apartment with uh, uh, Mark Carlson, uh, who used to be the SID at uh, Florida State when Mark came to CBS Sports. So it was uh, really interesting getting to know Beno and uh, hanging out with him.
0: Yeah, Well, of course, you know, you mentioned, you know, the revolution of the NFL today was a going live because, you know, and the NFL today really did exist before then. But uh, now people, not many people remember that uh, because of how the the live show really took hold and everything like that. So with this dream team of Brent, Phyllis, Irv, and Jimmy the Greek, you know, what made that click?
1: Well, first we have to uh, talk about... um uh, we have to go back to really 1970 when uh, the first time this, the CBS pregame show was ever called the NFL Today. Uh, I, I wrote about this uh, and posted it on Twitter recently. Uh, I wrote for, uh, for sportsbroadcastjournal.com um, and an occasional column. And this was about a woman named Marjorie Mar- 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 Margolis. Marjorie Margolis. She came from WCAU in Philly to produce and report on the NFL uh, for uh, the NFL Today, which was all pre-taped stuff in those days. She was the first woman. She preceded Phyllis George by five years. And she had done a couple of shows in 1970 when the producer Bill Fitz got called into the office of the president. And he said, what's wrong? He said, well, you know, we've, we've got another woman we, we're going to put on the air in place of Marjorie. She could still produce the, the segments, but we're going to put this other woman on. And who is the other woman, he asked. Well, it's the Winston cigarette girl. <laughs> Why are we putting the Winston cigarette girl on our football features? Well, she can't do Winston ads anymore because cigarette commercials are ruled out. And she's a friend of Frank Gifford's. <laughs> Frank Gifford was the host of the show, so Marjorie Margol is went along with this. Uh, they wound up doing TV guy doing a feature on the two of them uh, uh, from a woman's viewpoint on uh, football. She left uh, CBS after that year, went to uh, work for the Today Show. She won five Emmys. Uh, she also ran for Congress in '92 and won. Uh, she's adopted eleven children. And uh, she just had a a book come out about uh, being the first woman ever to adopt internationally. Uh, She's quite a quite a woman, to say the least. Yes. She was the first woman ever on the NFL today. Five years later, uh, a guy by the name of Bob Wessler comes in from Chicago to run CBS Sports. Uh, Bob Wessler was... uh, Uh, kind of a a fair-haired young guy. He was only 38 years old at the time. He had been uh, Waller Cronkite's uh, leader and producer in uh, special events at CBS News. Uh, They thought he was going to be the head of the network and uh, later on, he became the head of the network. Uh, And Wessler loved sports uh, and he saw an opportunity to try things that had never been done before. And one of them was uh, he wanted to go live. He wanted to have uh, a woman. And he met Phyllis George, who was already in New York looking for a career in broadcasting. Uh, And uh, she had done the Miss America pageant after winning it. She had worked with Burt Parks and she was doing a show called Candid Camera, uh, uh, which was a national uh, uh, show, kind of a cute show with a guy named Alan Funt. Yep. And... And a couple of young producers uh, got to know her and thought she was really great fun and told Bob Wassler that he should meet her. They had lunch. Uh, He liked her. Uh, He asked her, uh, what do you know about football? What do you know about sports? It was the million dollar question. She gave him that big Texas smile of hers. And she said, well, I've dated a lot of players. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and of course, I love the Dallas Cowboys. And, and that was enough for him. He, he knew that she didn't have to be an X's and O's person to be successful on the show and show the lighter side and, uh, uh, and interview some star players. And, and that's what he had her do. She was a huge success. In the first year, she interviewed uh, Dallas Cowboys quarterback Roger Staubach, Uh, And uh, it made huge news when she asked him to compare himself to Joe Namath and Storback, who was a really straight laced conservative guy, said, well, you know, Joe is single and goes out with a lot of women and uh, I'm married and happily married. And like Joe, Joe likes to have sex with a lot of women. I like to have a lot of sex too, but just with one, my wife. <laughs> you know, I'm paraphrasing, but that 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 made a lot of headlines around the country. That was big news for 1975.
0: Yeah, I was uh, a Cowboys fan growing up, and I remember that very, very well. That <laughs> was considered very risky at the time. <laughs>
1: you know, you have to remember that before 1975, no show was, no pregame show was live. Uh, All of CBS's uh, pregame shows were taped three days in advance of any features they did. uh, There was no live news. Uh, There was no talk of uh, point spreads, which we'll get into in a minute when they added Jimmy the Greek the following year. Uh, There was uh, no talk of uh, what the weather was like or anything like that. And uh, there, were. A buzz started to come with the show. Brent kept things moving so quickly. He'd go, go to Irv for strategy. He'd go to Phyllis for a feature. Uh, and then uh, when the Greek joined the show, he'd ask the Greek about uh, who should be favored. You know, people weren't talking about these things. And just the fact, and then they added. Lo- uh, Live highlights of other games. Can you imagine that you never saw highlights of other games at halftime? Only your own game. They couldn't do it. They but Mike Pearl and Bob Wessler figured out a way to get it done, uh, and the NFL Today just took off. Uh, became so popular, people were rearranging their church-going schedules to be home in time to see it. Phyllis George went from being practically unknown to the having the being on the cover of people magazine um and the show won 13 emmy awards its first year
0: yeah and i kind of like to to touch on 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 the cast of the nfl today one by one here with you and of course you mentioned brent was uh, the master of uh, of of quarterbacking this 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 great program you know, and brent certainly was uber talented and you know like many people that are in television you know, there's a lot of ego, and I think I think you have to have some of that to succeed. Um, you know, Brent, uh, for all the smoothness in front of the camera, I guess he could be not so nice uh, on camera as well, uh, you know, stealing scoops and other things behind the camera, kind of leveraging uh, some anchor power, if you will. Can you kind of capsulize some of that for me with Brent?
1: Um yeah, sure, absolutely. Brent, uh, according to Mike Pearl, the produ- producer of the show, one of the great producers in the business uh, who recently passed away, Mike uh, said Brent had a habit of, quote, unquote, stealing the headline. Um, he would listen to uh, Pat Summerall and Tom Brookshire uh, rehearse uh, their little segment in the show. Uh, Pat and Tom were usually doing the the number one game of the day and uh, CBS opened the show with uh, something they called the whip around, where they'd go from one stadium to another. And they'd have uh, or, or during the show, they, they'd bring in the announcers from these different games for a quick headline from their game. If somebody was out hurt or, or if uh, something unusual was expected uh, for that game or if there was a weather situation. And so Pat and Tom, Tom would be rehearsing. And Brent and a lot of the people in the studio would listen in. So when it was time for Brent to introduce them, if they were going to say Roger Staubach is uh, not going to play today because he just we just found out he hurt his thumb, Brent would say, uh, "Pat, Tom, tell us about why Staubach isn't going to play today. (laughs) Well, we understand he hurt his thumb. Well, that leaves them nothing to say, really, you know." And and Brent did that a few times and. Uh, Mike Pearl said that uh, at the end of that season, when everybody got together for a production meeting before the playoffs, uh, uh, S- Summerall and Musburger were about to go at it, and he had to keep them apart at dinner that night. <laughs> and, uh, then a, a few seasons later, I, Brent did something similar to, to Jimmy the Greek, uh, which we could talk about uh, when we get into the Greek thing, but uh, it, Greek, the Greek was not very happy. yeah (laughs) with brent stealing his great piece of news
0: yeah well let's talk about jimmy the greek a little bit i mean i mean this is a guy that was ahead of his time you know could you imagine you know how he would thrive in today's gambling acceptance um you know and and what i find interesting too is you know you look at brent and you look at greek you know that gambling thing is you know sort of uh, synonymous with both of them you know i kind of think that you know brett would be living the life jimmy the greek would like to be living running v and uh, you know doing all that stuff in vegas uh and again you mentioned they had their dust up and of course at the time you know gambling lines were kind of a you know kind of taboo uh yeah, it, when, it, when,
1: when the greek joined the show in 1976 i mean the greek was probably the most famous of the four of them when he joined the, the show. I mean, the the Greek had a newspaper column that was syndicated in 300 newspapers. Uh, he, he was written uh, about in the tabloids. Uh, Walter Winchell made him famous. Uh, Walter Winchell was probably the most powerful media writer in the country. Uh, he was, uh, I don't know who to compare him to today, but uh, uh, he was the number one gossip person in the world really. Uh, he would he would tap on uh, his uh, 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 kind of telegraph uh, key and make pretend uh, he was uh, tapping out great new news and say, good evening, uh, Mr. And Mrs. North and South America. Here's the news of the day. And uh, he's the first one who uh, who uh, talked about Jimmy the Greek winning a million dollars uh, when uh He bet on uh, Harry Truman to win in uh, 1948 over uh, Thomas Dewey uh, for the presidency. Uh, But anyhow, um, the Greek was really famous when he joined the show. um, And Bob Wessler uh, talked him into coming on. And uh, the Greek was an enormous hit right off the bat. And, and, you know, the NFL didn't want... uh, the networks to actually talk about point spreads, so they got around it. The Greek would say they'll win by a touchdown, or they'll win by a field goal, or another time the Greek would say uh, they'll win by. Wait a minute, what does that golfer say when the ball goes out of bounds? He says four.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, and and one of the things that spurred that was you know that early that year a Wessler, uh, not Wessler, but uh, a Pete Rozelle. The commissioner went before uh, Congress and uh, Congress was concerned about betting and, you know, uh, today it would be a joke, but Congress was concerned about betting on, you know, and the professional games being honest. And Pete Rozelle said, well, to my understanding, only 2% of all the viewers in the country who watch the NFL actually bet on the games. (laughs) When Beano Cook heard that, (laughs) said well if that's true they all live on my block
0: <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so, um so the, the greek uh, came on and i couldn't actually mention the point spreads but he also had his big board of uh, 18 categories and uh, uh and uh, defense and backfields and team speed and and
0: uh my favorite was intangibles
1: Intangibles, <laughs> you know uh, what's he smoking today <laughs> that kind of thing. and uh the greek was uh he was not only uh, uh popular uh, he he was really entertaining you know and uh, you know he had this great look and he he wore this this uh chain around his neck you know it's good luck chain and he had that great cleft in his chin and uh he uh, he, he he would talk like he was never going to be wrong you know and and Brent, uh had uh, fun with him i mean they they were good together they were really good together but uh it, and he had a segment called the Greek's grapevine besides picking the games uh he would have suppo- supposedly this segment was for insider news uh that the greek got from all his quote-unquote, sources around the league. Well, his main source was his pal Al Davis, the owner of the Oakland Raiders. And uh, by 1980, uh, the producers and Brent were pretty tired of Greek's tips from Al Davis. But this one Sunday in October of 1980, the Greek had this great piece of information that nobody else had, and that was that Notre Dame was going to fire their coach, Dan Devine, at the end of the season. This was still October and they were going to hire Jerry Faust, a high school coach uh, from uh, uh, Muller High in Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, that that was heresy in Notre Dame, hiring a high school coach, really never, never heard of before. And nobody had it, at least nobody was going out with it, and the Greek had it, and that was going to be his piece of news. They rehearsed it before uh, the show, as they usually did. And when it was time to do it live, the Greek stole uh, Brent stole the headline and said said something to uh, to Jimmy. Tell us about uh, Notre Dame firing their coach and hiring a high school coach or something like that. And the Greek just went did a Ralph Cramden. He went humming a humming humming. <laughs> I don't know what to say because <laughs> Brent stole his news and he just uh, boiled for the rest of the day. And that night. Uh, well, every Sunday night, a lot of us went to a place called Pear Trees. It was a restaurant and bar on the uh, east side of New York. Uh, we would uh, go and uh, talk about the day's games and what happened. And for some reason, the Greek went that night and Brent, who almost never joined everybody else after the after the shows, the, Brent was there too with his brother Todd. And uh, they wound up at the same table. The Greeks started complaining again about this and about not getting enough airtime on the show. And uh, Brent, uh, uh, Ted Shaker, the producer uh, uh, that year, said, we all had had maybe too, one too many drinks. And Brent at that point said, you know, Jimmy, I can make you disappear anytime I want. <laughs> and, and at that point, the Greek reached over and punched him right in the face. <laughs> uh, and uh, that, with all those people in that bar and that restaurant that night, that didn't stay uh, private for long. It made the Washington Post the next day. It was the front page headlines in the New York papers. After that, uh, uh, and uh, to Ben gordon uh, uh credit, uh, he didn't uh, punish anyone. He just got everybody together and uh, agreed to, uh, Let's put on just put on a good show and put this behind us. And uh, Van Sauter said he knew that the next time these two would get together on the air, it would produce a great uh rating, and it and it did. It was the highest rated show of the year. We we put boxing gloves and on the set, and uh, we rang a bell to start the show with Phyllis George saying, uh, round one. (laughs) <laughs> so that was pretty interesting. I also wanted to talk about the phrase, you are looking live." how that came about. Yeah. Uh, I, I mentioned they started the show with uh, what they called the whip around. That was where they showed the live stadiums one after another. And uh, uh, early in that very first season, uh, the director, Bob Fishman, said, I've got a f- couple of buddies who bet on the games and they always want to know what the weather is. You know, is there anything we could say or or do besides just show the stadium? And Brent said, "I'll say you are looking live," and that's what he did. He said, "You are looking live at Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia, and and you could see if it was raining or snowing or, or the sun was out." And then he'd go to the next game. "You are looking live at Soldier Field in Chicago, where today Walter Payton and the Bears, et cetera, et cetera." And that became the catchphrase of the show for the next 15 years. Brent was there from 1975 to 1990. And uh, uh, Brent was uh, tremendous on the show. He really kept it moving. You could, you know, he would juggle uh, highlights from uh, eight different games. Uh, he, would, he would do all the highlights without ever seeing them. Uh, they'd throw notes at him. They'd be counting down in his ear to the next highlight. And he wouldn't miss a beat. He was amazing. And Brent was probably the key reason the show was so successful. Uh, They all had uh, great personalities. They were all tremendously, became tremendously popular. The show had uh, enormous ratings. Uh, In those days, eights and nines, uh, today they would uh, equal uh, primetime ratings Mm -hmm. today. Um, And, uh, but what happened was... uh, with the popularity of the show, there was only 21 or 22 minutes of airtime and everybody started started to uh, want more airtime. And there there was some uh, ego, uh, egos hurt uh, when uh, the Greek or Phyllis didn't get enough time. Irv was probably the nicest guy in the room. He never complained. And Brent usually took care of him anyhow when there was an extra 30 seconds uh, to go. So um, that's, uh, that, that caused some things. Uh, there was an argument between Gr- Greek and Phyllis's husband, John Y. Brown. Now, Greek had a public relations business before he came to uh, uh, CBS Sports, besides his newspaper column. And uh, one of his clients, was uh, John Y. Brown's uh, company, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, And uh, he uh, claimed that John Y. owed him uh, $100,000, I think was the figure. And uh, John Y. denied it, uh, said uh, they were even, And the Greek uh, was not very happy about it. And on the air, he called John Y. a son of a bitch, (laughs) which which made Phyllis... (laughs) Break down and cry at the break, and uh, she left to said, uh, poor Phyllis, Phyllis was one of the nicest people I ever met or worked with. Uh, she was an uh, incredibly wonderful person,
0: yeah, uh, it, I don't yeah. Mean
1: to make fun of her at all, and uh, uh, we stayed friends until uh, the very end, and uh, her her death uh, a few years ago uh, saddened us all, and uh, it really uh, really affected uh, me personally,
0: uh, and
1: uh, many of us.
0: Yeah. No, a beauty queen with that girl next door a charm for sure. And of course you mentioned Irv, you know, as the gentleman and, and I, and I think, you know, no one has ever said a bad word. And if they did, that person would probably be a liar. I'm guessing, uh, you know, how did he, how was he able to stay in his, in his lane with all that amount of strong personality around him? <laughs>
1: well, you know, Erv Irv was, uh um, an incredible guy a great player uh, all pro player with the eagles and uh, later with the uh, rams um and came back to the eagles as uh, player coach uh, in fact he was uh, so, so smart uh, his rookie year with the eagles they made him co-captain now that's an incredible uh, honor and uh, and when it happened this way, uh, that uh, in, in training camp, they gave all the rookies a test and they they asked the rookies to write down on a piece of paper uh, what their uh, assignments were in certain situations. And Irv was the last one to finish and leave. And, and uh, he walked up and they said, why did it take you so long? And they looked at his paper, and he had written down the assignments for all 11 players on defense, Wow! <laughs> not just his own position. And they said, uh, wow, uh, how did you do this? He said, well, that's what we had to do at Northwestern. And so I figured, that's what you wanted. <laughs> and uh, he said the first time he was uh, in a, a preseason game, and he had to call the signals. Uh, uh concrete uh, Charlie Chuck Bidneric was in the huddle with him and uh, he was a little scared about telling Chuck Bidneric what he was supposed to do and Bidneric leaned over and said come on Rook give us the signal <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Irv uh, Irv recently passed away as well but I had uh, a lot of laughs with him uh, a few months before that uh, when we were talking about that Irv, Irv was the hardest working guy in the room Uh, on his uh, days off he would go to nfl films in philadelphia and uh, look at uh, a study film of all the uh, teams in the league so he would know what strategy uh, what was going on and what teams were doing uh, and not just uh, look at the highlights like everybody else was doing He would watch all the games, uh, the film of all the games, and he'd come back. He he was tremendously prepared, and that's why Brent felt so at ease going to him to ask him about any situation, and Brent never would cut him out of uh, the loop. Uh, Phyllis had had her role. Uh, She would do the uh, star interviews, and after a while, she became very, very uh, comfortable uh, talking about s- some of the teams, uh, but she never had to do X's and O's and they never put her on camera while they were talking about strategy with uh, Irv or Brent or the Greek. Uh, so they, they kept her um, out of the loop there. Uh, but uh, she, her popularity rose enormously. Uh, and uh, you know, that's why uh, people magazine went after her and uh at the end of the, sometime in 1977, she married uh, the producer of The Godfather and the head of Paramount Studios. Uh, can't think of his last name right now, Robert. Uh, ooh, it'll come back to me. Um, but he was really well known uh, at the time and very famous for, uh, for producing The Godfather. And it turned out to be uh, an unsuccessful marriage uh, in fact, as a matter of fact, uh, she left and went back back home to her family in Denton, Texas, after only two months and then, after that seventy seven season, she announced she wanted to take a break and she was leaving the show and that was a shock to everyone. Um, I had gotten to know her very well that in nineteen seventy seven and I was very sad about it. She was replaced by a young lady named Jane Kennedy, an African-American young lady. Uh, That was a really a big surprise because CBS held a tryout and brought in uh, 14 uh, young women uh, on a, a Saturday and a Sunday in the summertime to try out for the role of replacing Phyllis. And uh, Jane Kennedy uh, was a surprise to get the role. She was so good at uh, her glibness and commenting with Brent on camera and interviewing a a player that they had her interview on camera and she got the job. And uh, she had been a former Miss Ohio and she had a lot of uh, work in television in uh, Los Angeles, but it was all on tape. She had never done live TV, and she was a little nervous doing live TV. And uh, she uh, was doing just fine in 1978 until one day, that halftime, uh, she and uh, uh, Brent were on the set along with Irv. And instead of going to Irv and doing the... The highlights and the uh, scores, they would do the wrap, they would whip around with the scores from the other games around the league. He turned to Jane and said, Why don't you uh, give us a a rundown on the scores, Jane? Mm. And Jane didn't know how to read the scores. I mean, she understood football uh, from a a viewpoint of a fan, but uh, she wasn't uh, uh, someone who Who uh, understood the terminology of the game as well and and that wasn't supposed to be her role and uh uh Bob Fishman, the director, said it Brent just totally blindsided her, and it was he uh, Fishman said it was a cruel thing for Brent to do, and she read the scores with the wrong team winning and you know things like that, or if uh, it was the Eagles seven nothing over the Browns. She would say, uh, "The Browns zero, the Eagles 7. You know, and she got a lot of criticism for that from a lot of the fans, and uh, uh, she never really got over it. And uh, uh, that was a really uh, a sad situation. Uh, and after uh, the following season, uh, CBS decided to try to get Phyllis back and. Phyllis agreed to come back, and they fired uh, Jane uh, really for no cause of her own. Uh, and uh, they certainly could have put her on other shows like CBS Sports Spectacular. She was great at doing the interviews and things like that. Uh, you know, I'm glad I, you
0: and I'm glad you brought her up because you know, uh, you know, and you she was a former beauty queen, and I remember being a junior high aged at that time and boy, she made my heart flutter. <laughs> um, it, it, yeah. And, and God, she's still a beautiful
1: uh, lady today.
0: Yeah. And and of course, you know, her story is interesting because it does encapsulate a little bit of good Brent and bad Brent. You mentioned kind of the sabotage thing on the score, her given the scores. But uh, in the book, you talk about, you know, in the auditions when she nailed her audition, Brent said she's the one and we're right. done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, there, it was a tough audition. I mean, it was they had they had brought in these these 14 uh, starlet type uh, women that the uh, the agencies had sent around, around uh, you know, the talent agencies put up their best people. In fact, uh, Jane's agency, uh, ICM, wouldn't submit her. They didn't think she was right for it. They told her oh, they don't want a black uh, and they want somebody who uh, knows a little bit of, has a little bit of a sports background. And well, she said she uh, always watched the Cleveland Browns, and Jimmy Brown was a f- friend of hers. Uh, and he became a friend of hers out in Hollywood, and Muhammad Ali as well. Uh, in fact, she got a, a great interview with Ali after his uh, Sphinx, second Spinks fight that CBS couldn't get on its own. So uh, Jane uh, really was very valuable uh, to CBS until they found out Phyllis wanted to come back. And they did the wrong thing. I said in the book, it was one of the rare times I really uh, 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 put my own opinion into it. I said CBS had blood on its hands for that, uh, for firing Jane. And it was just the wrong thing to do. So... um, Uh, What else should we talk about?
0: Yeah, well, you know, you you mentioned, you know, it was a 30-minute format. There was a lot of competition for airtime. I got a two-part question on this. Uh, How do you think it would have done in a longer format like we have today? And along those lines, what do you think about pregame offerings in our present time?
1: Uh, I think, uh, you know, if, if the NFL today in those days had gone to an hour, I think that we would have made twice twice as much money it would have killed the compet, continue to kill the competition as long as they could bring everybody back i mean you know even as late as 1987 uh in october the greek went on david letterman as a guest ostensibly to talk about uh the uh, coming uh, political election uh the greek uh, was uh uh, an expert on politics as well, from winning all those bets. And, uh, and of course, Letterman had to ask him about the fight that happened with Brent almost eight years previous. And uh, the Greek sheepishly said, well, uh, well, it was about even, as far as the fight was concerned. <laughs> he said, but now we're the best of friends, yeah, which turned out a couple months later, when uh, the Greek got in tro- trouble for his controversial comments on Martin Luther King weekend, uh, Brent, Brent uh, said, uh, I'm never going to work next to that guy again. It turned out they weren't the best of friends.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and of course, yeah. And I would say, you know, the Greek story is kind of a tragic
1: story. Uh, it is. It's tragic, to be sure. You know, um, you know, he uh, he see his, his comments on martin luther King weekend stem from uh something he had read years earlier in sports illustrated and and a lot of other uh places uh, there was discussion about uh the breeding of the the blacks during the the uh slave days and that the uh, slave that the uh owners slave owners would would breed their slaves to be bigger and stronger and the Greeks contention was when he was interviewed, he was kind of blindsided. He was just having lunch in Washington DC on a playoff weekend and a a local reporter blindsided him and asked him uh, what he thought about, uh, what does Martin Luther King mean to you? And he started talking about this after a while. He just rambled on. And said that that's why uh, black players are better than the white players because they were they were bred to be uh, bigger, faster, uh, stronger, etc. And um, you know the CBS immediately said, "Oh, we we don't have anything to do with that. We we don't agree with what he said." And you know a lot of uh, people, including Jesse Jackson, came to his defense but CBS had immediately fired him uh, and I personally think uh, it was an excuse to get rid of him because his contract was about up they could have they didn't have to pay him another cent uh, because he was about to negotiate a new deal uh, and uh, they, they called his comments uh, um, oh uh, uh, I forget that word that the Greek hated. Uh, not irresponsible, but
0: uh, Irrehensible?
1: <laughs> yeah, reprehensible. That was it. They called his comment CBS in uh, a press release called his com- comments reprehensible, and he said anything but that. That really, that really uh, took me down. And he couldn't get another job on TV, and uh, he he slowly went down, and he started borrowing money from everybody he knew uh, to try to keep gambling in Las Vegas he he got separated from his family and his wife uh, he moved to a, a small hotel in Las Vegas and uh, kept gambling now this was a guy who in the 60s was uh, ran three or four sports books in Las Vegas, the biggest one for sure and uh, was the most famous, a uh, gambler in uh, the city and uh, the country. Sports Illustrated did a an entire uh, feature story on the Greek called The Man Who Makes the Odds. This was in the 60s. You know, that's how famous, and he had gone this far down at the end, unfortunately. Bob Fishman tells a story of uh, he was going out to direct a game in Las Vegas, and uh, he called the Greek... This was about uh, three or four years after he had left CBS. He called the Greek uh, and said, uh, "Do you want to get together and uh, for dinner?" And the Greek said, "Please." And when the Greek showed up for dinner, his his uh, jacket was uh, stained and his hair was long and greasy, and at the end, and he was still complaining years later about CBS firing him. And at the end of the dinner, he asked Fishman to you had to borrow a hundred dollars and fishman said it was just so sad you know fishman and a few years later the greek died uh we think from a broken heart really uh and uh i was in europe at time and i couldn't go to the funeral but fishman and pearl mike pearl were at the funeral and fishman dropped the winning ticket into the casket Mm. Uh, it was kind of a sweet thing to do Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said the only other, no one else from CBS came. He was there for 13 years. Nobody else from CBS came to the funeral, which was in Steubenville, Ohio, where he was born and raised. And um, it was just a damn shame. It was yeah. very sad.
0: Yeah, no, no, no question. Of course, you know, you know, I think, you know, about the NFL today is is still – you know, that version of it is still the gold standard uh, of of pregame shows. And you look at the things that were probably born from all that. You know, you you look at again, we're talking about the gambling acceptance. Uh, you could easily say that that was kind of the that would be inspiration for the Red Zone Channel years later. I, I, I mean, I the, it's amazing the 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 amount of of things that they did that were groundbreaking.
1: Yeah, yeah. Music pieces. Uh, I mean, they they wore out the song. Nobody does it better. Um, Carly Simon uh, singing uh, w- by showing slow motion of Walter Payton running through the NFL uh, uh, d- defensive backfields, <laughs> uh, you know, and her singing. Nobody does it better. They they must have d- done that number three or four times during the 77 season. And. Um, You know, music pieces, uh, uh, the gambling, uh, just uh, even the highlights. Like I said, nobody had highlights before of other games. You had to wait until Monday night at halftime when Cosell would do highlights of three or four games. And, uh, you know, and fans wrote in, they they were upset if their team wasn't included in the Monday night. And otherwise, you couldn't see highlights of other games uh it really brought uh the nfl into the the mainstream and you know another thing it really helped the nfl become much more popular and overtake major league baseball as the number one sport in our country
0: with your time on the show, um,
1: do you I was have... five you, years.
0: Yeah, so in that five-year time period, do you, do you have a favorite moment or two that stands out?
1: The, the, the uh, show in 1980 after the fight of Pear Trees, mm-hmm. which uh, I was at the bar, and I, I missed the commotion until I saw the commo- commotion after, after where they were separating everyone. But... Um, it was uh, quite a place, uh, Pear Trees, uh, in those days. And Runyon's was the other hangout that everybody went to um, on the east side. Uh, uh, it was uh, a bar and restaurant uh, run by a former bartender named Joe Healy. And uh, he named it after the famous uh, writer Damon Runyon. And he had a big uh, sign as you entered the, the back room where the uh, tables were. Uh, It was a quote from Damon Runyon, and and the quote was, uh, and the quote was, uh, the battle isn't always to the, to the, uh, mm, I can't believe I'm blowing this quote, (laughs) to the strong, uh, the battle isn't always to the strong or the brave, but that's the way to bet, something like that. (laughs) You know? When when you get up over 70 years old, sometimes these things leave <laughs> leave your body for a minute or two.
0: Yeah. You know, the the other thing I would like to encourage people about uh, reading the book, not only because of, you know, what the pregame show was all about, but if anybody wants to know what workplaces were like back in that time frame, you know, if if people have complaints now about the workplace, you know the the the. You think about back then with the the amount of drinking, the uh the amount of harassment and things like that 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 go on, the type of language that was used. I think it would be very eye opening for people who who uh, were not of that generation.
1: Um, let's put it this way: anything w- goes in those days. Anything like w- you know, uh, you know. There was a lot of drinking after work. Mm -hmm. There there were a variety of water holes, watering holes that people went to right after work, uh, including uh, guys like Pat Summerall. Uh, He was uh, very well known to pick up a check uh, three or four times a week, you know, uh, at these places. Um, Everybody thought he was a great guy, and he was a great guy, and he was a great great play-by-play guy. You know, but uh, uh, later in life, he he had to give it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, But, uh, you know, everybody smoked. You know, there were two ashtrays in every office. (laughs) You know, I I had the front desk and Bino had the back desk in our office. uh, And uh, Bino had a a six pack of uh, tab, the diet, uh, uh, soft drink that coca-cola owned before they went before they got rid of it and went to diet coke Uh, he would always have a tab on his desk he'd have a carton of winston's uh, in his (laughs) bottom drawer you know and then you walked in the office and you, you had to go like yeah the smoke blows the smoke out of your way and we had guys walking in our office all the time johnny unitas paul horning these were guys who worked games for cbs know uh john Tesh and uh uh pat um uh, pat o'brien uh pat who
0: were you thinking about pat o'brien
1: pat o'brien yeah the two of them they were like frickin' frack they walked in our office how come you guys don't get us publicity you know <laughs> you know uh, O'Brien, o'brien uh wound up doing pretty well for himself but you know and and the girls uh, the secretaries love to go drinking too So, uh, you know, and even uh, it was even worse before I got there in the 70s. There was a lot of uh, a lot more going on. And the the head of CBS Sports uh, uh, was one of the leaders of the drinking in those days Mm -hmm. um, before they brought in Bob Wessler to run things. And then Van Gordon Sauter. You asked me about uh, the shows today. Yes. Uh, I I think that the shows today I still think the NFL today is uh, a little bit ahead of, ahead of all the others. Um but um I think there's uh, too much emphasis on personalities and not enough information about the games and the players. You know, uh the the personality thing really is is what they seem to be going for at Fox, you know, with uh, all those guys. Yeah, and I guess the fans like it. You know, I, I think uh, the, the women have disappeared on these shows that, you know, it's, you know, Bob Wessler wanted to bring a, a woman on in 1975 because he said it became a, a male bastion. Um, and uh, he was right. And it really added chemistry to the show. And unless you, you look at Good Morning Football on uh, the NFL Network with Kay Adams, there, there really aren't any women on the, these pregame shows that I think they badly need them.
0: Yeah, but it's a, it is interesting. And also the, 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 uh, sometimes I think, you know, what I liked about the 30 minute format, it kind of goes back to what comedians used to say, always leave them one more. You know, I think that kind of, you know, now they stretch these things out for an hour and two hours with with tons of people. Um, you know, I, I kind of think it waters down the product.
1: Yeah. Um, I want to tell your listeners that when they go online, uh, they go on Amazon or wherever to to buy the book. By the way, Amazon is selling it for uh, uh, five dollars off. Uh, Right, right now at twenty four something, instead of twenty nine something, which is out of the goodness of their heart. Amazon, Um, but uh, well, you'll you'll, if you uh, put in you are looking live on uh, the Amazon website, uh, you'll get the photo that is on the cover of the book, the the famous black and white photo of Brent, Phyllis, Irv, and the Greek. And that is the only photo of the four of them together at at the same time. And it was not taken in 1976. It was taken when Phyllis came back in 1980. And it's an iconic photo. And um, I I just uh, was beside myself that, cbs gave me permission
0: to use it yeah it's it's awesome the the book is fantastic i really enjoyed reading it and uh and rich i really enjoyed you coming on the show and uh and, and talking about the book with us and uh uh again it's it, it's great stuff i do very much recommend it for anybody who who wants to uh, to really get a great story of of, of how this era of, of television broadcasting was it, it, it's a great piece on it
1: It really changed the world of sports broadcasting and uh, it brought the NFL into the 20th century. Thanks so much for having me on, Jeff. My pleasure.
0: And of course, we are going to close out the program with the theme from the NFL Today. Enjoyed that conversation with uh, Rich Podolsky as we talked about the NFL today and uh, how Brent Irv Phyllis and the Greek revolutionized uh, sports broadcasting with this live pregame show that uh, is still the gold standard. Nothing. I mean, this is like the you know, the tip top of the Hall of Fame uh, and just amazing uh, what that program did for sports television and for all the careers of those that were involved with it. Some great stories there that we got to hear, and uh, that was a blast. And with that, we are done here.